Contracting is a problem. That's not new news. I certainly recall 25 years ago talking about the potential that technology had to transform and simplify contracts and contracting. And we seem to be having very much the same conversations today. Indeed, there's been uh, recent research uh, asking CEOs about they find some of the frustrations with their legal function. And right at the top of the list is frustration over contracting cycle times and the fact that the CEOs believe they're losing money because of the time it takes lawyers to get stuff done. Well, Bill, probably no better person to turn to to ask the question. As a general counsel, do you think that's a fair comment? And, and what do you think, if so, could be done about it? Thanks, Tim. Well, uh, maybe in some circumstances it could be a fair comment. I don't, I don't know. But uh, look, I mean, lawyers can't uh, completely dodge responsibility here. We, we all know over our careers we've dealt with uh, lots of different kinds of lawyers, right? Some that really understand the, uh, the business uh, aspects of what they're doing and, and they're, they're uh, you know, negotiating to get to a fair contract, a, a speedy contract, they're doing it the right way. And we also know other lawyers who, who do not uh, function that way. And so there's always that part of it, but overall, I think what you're, you're describing here is a much larger issue and it's never quite as simple as someone who wants to point a finger at legal and say, there's the problem. It's really more about, you know, in today's world of, you know, global enterprise and for companies that operate globally um, or even, you know, large companies in a particular country, it is complex and it's not just legal. <laughs> there are many parts of the organization that are critical to the overall process. And uh, lawyers are, are one part of that. And oftentimes lawyers have an oversight uh, responsibility and they're very visible in the process, but it's more about, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this in a moment, but it's more about, uh, I think, um, fundamentally, you know, transforming the organization in a, in a way that uh, various parts of the organization that are part of the end-to-end -end process here can really work together. But it's also, there are technology issues and there are systems and data issues and uh, uh, approvals and processes and all those kinds of things that can get out of hand and are so complex that it just completely bogs down the process. So it's, it's hard work to go in and re-engineer all that and uh, really streamline it. Uh, a lot of it, frankly, comes down to, I think, to human nature. And it's getting people to truly team together and work together um, in a way that really makes a difference and really transforms the process. People don't tend to do that. And they can talk about it and they can uh, pretend to be doing it. But at the end of the day, to make real change, they've got to really know how to team and, uh, and be willing to work as one, you know, end-to-end -end process in one team. And I want to come back to a few of the points you just made there, Bill. But first of all, perhaps, uh, Nicola, obviously at KPMG, you work with lots of CEOs and you work with lots of general counsels. So do you 
feel this sort of tension and this sense of frustration that, that the research has implied? Yes. Um, uh, Tim, the, the latest report that, that we've worked on together, um, I think one of the quotes was, you know, getting a contract is like having a root canal. Um, <laughs> just that sort of summed up for me um, the experience that lots of our clients have. But, but I agree with Bill. I, I, I don't think it's fair to, to point the finger at legal or any one function, actually. It's, as Bill said, it's far more complex. Um, and if we look at some of the reasons why, you know, why those cycle times are long, it's, it's the process and it's the tools. Um, so, you know, it's that underlying process and the tools through which contracts are designed, negotiated, implemented and managed, and it's inefficient. And it's, as Bill said, it's fragmented. Um, one of the biggest areas for me, and Bill touched on this as well, is no one across the organization takes a holistic view. It's all done on this functional by functional basis. So the whole process end to end is fragmented. Um, so if we think about contract review and approval, you know, that's often sort of, you know, addressed um, by maybe one team separately, but there's not necessarily consideration given for what's happening upstream or downstream and what the impact on that might be. Um, so your question, Tim, around, well, you know, what is it and what can be done about it? You know, for me, it's somebody needs to take that ownership. So, you know, we always say to clients, well, who owns contracting? And the answer we often get is, well, legal own this bit and procurement own this bit and sales own this bit. But again, we come back to that. OK, but who has that holistic view? How do you bring all of this together? And exactly as, as Bill said, this, this sense of teaming and collaboration and our point of view, and I know we're going to talk through this later, Tim, is, in order to get the change across your organization, there needs to be somebody or a small group of people that are functional agnostic, that have a holistic view across contracting um, in possibly a, an office of contracting um, so that they've got that view and so that they can really drive that transformation throughout the organization. Well, I mean, let's pick up on that point now, Nicola. Uh, let, let's perhaps turn back to you, Bill, because I know uh, certainly our relationship goes back quite a few years. And I recall that one of the sort of linchpins of us first talking, in fact, was because of, in a sense, I guess, the frustration of your then CEO, who I think did turn to you and say, Bill, we need to get better at contracting. So go fix it. Is, is that a fair depiction? And in your view, did that give you the authority, I suppose, you know, did it take the CEO's personal intervention to really make change happen? You know, it's interesting, and you're right, that's, uh, that's going back a few years, and uh, that's the, uh, the uh, demand that was made, and so I did try to respond to that, obviously, <laughs> so... Uh, but um, yeah, I, I think I, I definitely agree with uh, Nicola's uh, point about the holistic view. I think that, um, you know, uh, the general counsel or the legal organization uh, can take a leadership role here. You know, it's, it's, fu it's a funny thing. Um, and this happens outside of the area of contracting as well. But you hear this real, very often that the, the lawyers, the general counsel, the legal organization tend to see things across the organization much quicker than a lot of the other functions do. And the reason for that is 
you know, we, we tend to be working on things that, that do come from all parts of the organization and affect the whole organization. And I think it's a matter of taking leadership and saying, yes, there are a lot of things that can be done in the core function of legal and the contracting organization that yes, we can automate, we can transform, we can improve so much of that. And in doing that, you do start to have the tentacles going out into finance and solutioning and delivery into other parts of the organization naturally. Now the real leadership comes, and I think in a large organization, you know, even when the CEO says, go do this, how often does that really happen? It's really more about influence. And again, I come back to teaming uh, with your peers, you know, the CFO, you know, the CIO, all these other, you know, C-suite leaders, it's, it's working with them in an in influencing way. You know, it's not kind of going in and pounding the table and saying, you shall do this, because I'm telling you, it doesn't happen that way. It just doesn't. And so it's a long-term process. It takes time. It's not easy because again, you're dealing with humans and there's so many different agendas, you know, going on in those different groups. So it's a nuanced uh, kind of thing. And uh, I do, I like Nicola's idea about, yes, if you could have an overarching um, kind of agnostic group, you know, pushing some of that, that sounds great. I'm not sure from an authority standpoint that that's necessarily what you want. It's more about having key leaders who are bought into it and who are going to set aside their, you know, their predilections and work together as a team to get it done. Uh, and Nicola, just to pick up on the point you made, and of course in the report we talk about the Office of Contracting. Um, can you just expand a little bit on what you see the scope of that responsibility being, particularly in terms of, you know, are we talking here just process or are we talking actually operational responsibility? Yeah, for me, you know, the, an Office of Contracting is, is just having a clear owner of the overall contracting process. So, you know, a procurement function will, will, will still own a lot of, you know, from a procurement standpoint, what, what they're doing in those contracts. But, but by having, a, you know, an office of contracting, and, and I see that as, you know, a really lean strategic group and, and their responsibility is the quality and integrity of the contracting process. So, Tim, you know, every year we see the stats around, you know, contract value leakage, value erosion, and it's, it's still happening across, you know, clients 10, 20, you know, years later. And I think by having someone that's got that end-to-end -end view of the process, um, that is independent of those operational stakeholder groups, just enables them to look at that that end-to-end -end piece and, and join up the dots. Um, it was really interesting. We, we've we've got a, a client that we're working with at the moment, and, and they're looking at exactly that, setting up a, a global contracting office. And then we got into the conversations of, well, who owns it? And the conversation was, is it legal or is it procurement? Um, and you can almost take away some of that pressure from those functions to say, well, if we put someone independent in 
And their role is just to make sure that, you know, legal are doing what legal needs to be doing and procurement are doing what they need to be doing. And, you know, often there might be seven functions involved across the contracting process, you know, end to end. If you have someone that's just got their eye on that, I think that's incredibly um, attractive and effective for organisations and will help to reduce that leakage. And, and to your point, Bill, will help to, to bring that that human element together to, to collaborate because they haven't got a fixed agenda. Um, you know, their agenda is holistic contracting across X organization. And, and I think that that could be incredibly powerful to organizations. So of course, the question is what's gonna make it happen? And so maybe I could just ask you very briefly because we just have a couple of minutes left. So maybe each of you could just give me 60 seconds. Um, one hypothesis is of course that the pandemic will act as a catalyst for this type of change. Flexibility, adaptability became critical in the pandemic and you know certainly the levels of volatility in the market suggest that more flexible, more adaptive capability is going to be important. Contracts in the pandemic on the other hand often proved to be of little or no practical use. I mean, even if people could find the contract, even if they could find the terms within the contract, even if they could find data on performance in the contract, they probably often found that there wasn't actually any term that was relevant to the situation they were in. So, you know, we heard time after time that relationships really came to the fore in terms of getting people through the problem. But... I think many people have recognized that that's not a very robust, resilient way in which to manage a business. And so, of course, big question is how do contracts need to change um, and to what extent might they, for example, need to include more in the way of governance provisions, um, guidance on dealing with uncertainty, etc. So do you think that could be the catalyst that really begins to drive new thought, innovative thought for contracts and contracting processes. What are your thoughts, Bill? Uh, yeah, to an extent. Um, although I will say that I, I really see the pandemic, you know, being such a let's let's hope, you know, once in a once in a lifetime or once in a career situation that was so unusual and so. Uh, threatening, you know, to life and limb, and um, and I will tell you, uh, you know, we're we're a global IT services company, and we had extraordinary uh, cooperation from partners and customers, and completely outside, you know, the contract, and and uh, and I think, you know, from what we could see throughout the whole economy, you know, that was going on all over the place, uh, thankfully, and. But I, but I do think it may be somewhat tied to the circumstances. Um, now on the services side and the, you know, the business we're in, we are definitely pushing more and more, Tim, as you know, towards relational contracting. And I think in a, in a long-term services situation, it, it calls for that you know, more so than perhaps on the procurement side, where sometimes depending on what you're procuring, it's a little more transactional you know, it's a little more kind of focused, you know, on, on the here and the now, on the price and the quality and delivery and th those kinds of things. So I just think it, it depends. You know, it's such a, a, a long, uh, wide spectrum of, of things that we're looking at here. 
but I really don't know that the pandemic in and of itself will actually change that fundamentally. And Nicola, do you have a sense of optimism as we look to our future? <laughs> yeah, I, I think like, like Bill, on a person, you know, the pandemic was such an unprecedented event and, you know, supply chains were affected sort of end to end and, and, you know, almost through no fault of their own. So, you know, on a personal level, I was really happy to see organisations supporting supply chains and taking this pragmatic view because, as Bill said, you know, on a human level, we were all affected in, in different ways. And so were our, you know, our employees and our, and our customers. And, and I think, you know, I was really happy to see that. Um, in terms of, of optimism around will it change things, um, I am optimistic. Uh, you know, our, our statistics in our report, Tim, talk about, you know, digitising the contracting process is now a priority for 76% of the respondents. The latest KPMG stats from CEOs, you know, digitisation is high up on their agenda as well. So I think it will it will further drive that need for digitization of contracts. Uh, and with that, you need that operating model. So, you know, really, how do we do things? How should we do things? And I think if nothing else, it has brought the conversation to the table and everything starts with a good conversation. Well, I may not actually be here to have this conversation again in 25 years and recap on whether a fair 25 years is enough for fundamental change. Um, I certainly hope it's going to be a lot quicker than that. And I think uh, I agree with both of you. I think there are some really positive indicators. And uh, certainly our report generates, I think, not only tremendous interest from people, but I think uh, reveals a real sort of recognition of need for change. So thank you very much for joining us in this podcast today. Thank you. Thank you.